0: Well, good morning. All right. Somebody said we need to pull out more chairs. I think we're just fine. We got plenty of room, plenty of room. I'm glad I put some extra chairs out this week, though. So we're so glad uh, that you're here today. Um, there's no better day to come uh, in the year to worship our, our Savior because of what this day means and what this day holds and and that this is... This is where we celebrate the resurrection. If there wasn't this day, we would have zero reason to even be here. And so to me, this is my favorite week. Um, and so um, as we are getting ready to, to dive into the Word today, um, I see that there's lots of new faces. I want to I wanna encourage you, um, don't let this just be an isolated day. This is a launching pad. So make this your launching pad into coming back next week and the next week. And Because here's the thing, we can, we can be in a room and we can feel the presence of the God. We can, we can be around God's people and we can feel a lot of great things of what God is doing in and around us. And here's the thing, if you would give yourself over to the Lord for an entire year, give, sell out and surrender to Him and give Him everything you've got, you won't even recognize the person you are in a year. And then you've started something and you don't want to stop. How many of you have heard that before and that's what's happened in your own life? I mean, that's what, we say that all the time here at Living Waters. Like, give it, give it a year and see what happens. Or 38 days, Philip, 39, 42, however many days. I mean, it's like, he's like, man, everything changed, right? So, so, uh, welcome to Second Chance Sunday. This is one of my favorite sermons. Um, it's, it's not, I don't preach the same sermon ever, but Second Chance Sunday is all about second chances in life. And I don't, every one of us here has needed a second chance, a third chance, and Second Chance Sunday is just another way of, if you've come here for your 1,913th chance—you're in the right place because the God that we serve is the God of second, third, fourth, 999 chances—and that's what is so amazing. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through all of the events from from the from that go through the crucifixion and into the resurrection. Because I'm asked a lot of times, and I think it's very fitting today. I'm often asked, Daniel. how do you know you know cuz we all struggle with everybody struggles with doubts from time to like how do you know that you know that you know that this is all real if we're being honest haven't some of you sometimes in your life struggle like are we sure come on i'm a preacher and i've had some of those thoughts i'm like god are you sure that this is all real and i want to share with you what convinced me that this is absolutely the truth 100% so here's the deal it's a word called prophecy Prophecy is when something was stated hundreds of years or years before something happened and it was fulfilled exactly how it was said. And here's the thing, Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, and and all of the things that were prophesied about him, he fulfilled all but one. And the only one that he hasn't fulfilled is the one we're waiting on, and that's called the second coming. He has fulfilled every single one of them. And here's one of the really neat things. There's a guy named Peter Stoner, and he was a mathematician for a university. And he he, he focused his studies on probability. What's the probability of one man fulfilling all these prophecies? Well, one, that was too impossible. There was too many prophecies. So he said, what we're going to do is we're going to back up and we're going to pick eight. Eight non-supernatural prophecies. Prophecies and see what's the probability of one man fulfilling that. So, for an example, one of those was that that person would be in born, born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah and, and Micah 5 2 said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So, what would happen is as he's building this probability, he would then take how many Jews, because it was going to have to be in the line of Judah was born in Bethlehem and then he would start looking and calculating those odds. Then he would begin to add. So here's a couple of other ones that he added. That a messenger would prepare the way. John the Baptist was the one who came before Jesus talking about the one to come. Jesus walked down the the, the banks of the river one day and he cries out. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, So this, so Jesus, you know, a lot of the prophecies that we're dealing with were not the ones that actually Jesus did himself. Most of them were done to him by another. Another would be that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, Zechariah 9.9. That he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Whoops. Please say it goes back. Yay! Okay. I pushed the wrong button. I'm, I'm new at this. So, so that, um, that he would be betrayed by a friend he, for 30 pieces of silver. See, that's pretty specific, isn't it? It's not just betrayed. It was betrayed for 30. This prophecy was 500 years before Jesus was even born that there was a prophecy that he was going to be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. That's a big deal. So that he would be pierced hand and feet. That his garments would be stripped from him. All of these things were prophesied hundreds of years. And so what he what his his mathematician team came up with is that for a person to fulfill just eight prophecies, just eight, out of the hundreds that he fulfilled, just let's take eight of them, and they pull those eight out, and it was one to the 10th, uh, one out of 10 to the 17th power. You had 17 zeros behind 10. That's your number. So he goes, well, let me break it down for you. It'd be taking, it would be like this. Take um, silver coins uh, across the entire state of Texas, two feet deep. Mark one of them. Bury it anywhere in the state of Texas you want. Blindfold one guy. Throw him out in the middle of Texas and see if he can do it on his first try. So, what? in other words, it's impossible to fulfill just those eight prophecies, not let alone the hundreds of prophecies, just the eight. It's miraculous, is what he's saying. He says there's only one way that this happens, and that is God. There's only one way it happens. That's just eight, guys. That's just Eight. Eight. So I want to start with the betrayal of Jesus. And here's what's amazing is Jesus knew everything that was happening before it ever happened, and he spoke it. In John chapter 6, it says this. For Jesus knew from the beginning who would believe or who would not believe and who would betray him. Did I not choose the twelve? This is Jesus speaking. And one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the sign. Of, sign, sign ah son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him. Now here's what's interesting. Zechariah, 500 years before this, I already mentioned this, um, predicted and and, and gave a prophecy that that this individual, whoever it was, would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. It's the same price as a slave. I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus was betrayed for a slave's price. Isn't that Isn't that amazing? Jesus prophesied of all of these things to his own disciples in Luke 18. He pulls his disciples apart pulls him to the side, and he said, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything, listen to this, everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Jesus, before it ever happened, he's pulling his disciples and says, listen, we're going to a place, we're going up to Jerusalem, and here's what's about to happen. Everything that was spoken in the Old Testament, the prophets, all of that's about to happen. That's all about to happen. It's all about to be fulfilled. He says he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. The Romans were the ones who, who crucified him. He's going to be mocked, insulted, spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus even predicted his own resurrection. See, here's what you've got to think about. is Jesus is telling them before it ever happened, they're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to whip me. See, he didn't have, it's not like Jesus said, hey, uh, Pilate, by the way, if we could really sell this good and just whip me in front of everybody real bad and have everybody spit on me and mock me and then put me on that cross. It's not like he had a meeting beforehand. Jesus already knew because he knew who he was. He knew all the things said about him in the Old Testament. He says, it's about to all happen. And he told the disciples exactly what was going to happen. Isn't that amazing? So as we come to the point I highlighted they will scourge him. Let me talk about this scourging. They used a cat of nine tails. This, this whip would be anywhere from each leather thong would be two feet up to six feet long. And on the end of them, they would have these little lead balls and they would either attach bone or metal or, uh, or, or spikes in that. And, and the design was that it would hit the body with such force that it would stick. And then they would rip it down. Each tail would cut a cut on the, on the body two inches long and about three quarters of an inch deep. Each, each of these tails would, 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 would represent about 20 stitches. So one blow of a cat of nine tails is 180 stitches. 39 lashes would be 2,000 stitches. Hmm. It was said that 40 lashes would kill a man. That's why they would always say 40 lashes minus one. A lot of men died on the way before they ever was put on a cross. So, some people said, then why didn't he die? Why didn't he bleed to death? Well, one, they did this in the evening time when it was cooler, which would cause your capillaries to close up somewhat. My wife gave me also a medical term, um, vasio. where's Teresa, Vazio, sure, that sounds right. Vasio something, something that was a medical term that basically is saying that because it's cooler, those capillaries aren't pumping as much blood. But also, part of the reason why they didn't bleed to death often was because it wasn't going deep enough to cut major arteries. They didn't want them to die. In fact, they, would, they wanted to pull the flesh out of the, of the body and actually leave it exposed. And it, would, it was reported that often during those times that birds would... would be, because this is not a quick death. This is, this is something those guys would, would sometimes be there for days. And the birds would feed on them. This was a, a, the, the most horrific torture that could ever take place. Now, he then after, after receiving... After receiving the most gruesome and terrible torture of being whipped with the cat of nine tails. He was caused to carry his own cross. It's, it's argued on how heavy this is, but, but on the lightest scale that I could find was a 150 pounds, and, and a lot of um, scholars believe it was closer to 300 pounds. But a lot of people say, well, that doesn't sound that heavy, but I, I don't forget the setting. Don't forget that here's a man who had all of the flesh ripped off of his body. His his backbones and ribs would be exposed from 39 lashes. And you're putting a cross on your back and you're carrying it 600 meters. And if you want to know how long and far 600 meters is, it's a, a, a lap and a half around the track carrying that cross. Jesus even told his disciples in Matthew 16, he says this, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The disciples wouldn't have had a clue what this meant. Imagine at that time when they're hearing this, they wouldn't have understood yet what he's talking about. Take up his cross. Jesus lived that scripture out before us for us to follow. If anyone would come after me, if anybody would follow me, let them deny himself, take up the cross. Well, what does that mean to take up your cross? Well, maybe, maybe you, you were diagnosed with something, and, and you're going to have to walk through life with that. Maybe that's the cross that you're going to carry. Maybe you were mistreated. Maybe you were abused in some way. Maybe you have a physical pain. Maybe there's a great struggle that you have. But he's telling us, in this world, we're going to have trouble. As a Christian, there's going to be days where I'm taking up that cross of suffering and grief, whatever it may be, and I'm called to carry it. He says, whoever whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, we'll find it. I'm going to lose my life in order to get it. In other words, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus in order to receive life. I think a lot of times we forget salvation. We're like, well, we're just adding something. No, I'm, salvation is me laying my life down and saying, God, I, <laughs> this is a mess. You know, this whole thing's a mess, and I'm, I'm laying it down. God, I'm laying my whole life down for you. And, and then what God does is he then gives me life. So I lay down my life and t- in order to receive life. It's not just, hey, I'm doing pretty good, and I would just like to add a little bit to it. It's saying, God, I'm laying it down. And, he, and, and, and so, God, I'm laying all of this down, and then he's giving his life to me. My favorite passage of the week is first or John 129. And as so, so as he's as he is, as Jesus has been betrayed, as he's been scourged, as he's been, as he's had to carry this cross to Golgotha, now he's about to be put onto this cross. And, and here's the deal: John, years before he was put on the cross, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, this Friday, this past Friday, is what we call Good Friday. It was the day that Jesus was crucified. Here's a couple of things that I want to throw out to you. As John 19:31 says that the Friday that Jesus was crucified, it was preparation day. It means that they were getting ready to sacrifice all the Passover lambs. Okay? And so Jesus was crucified on the same day that these lambs were, were sacrificed, and so he is the Passover lamb. So here's a couple of fun facts about, about sacrificial lambs, and you're going to find this very interesting, is this. Okay, so these lambs went back all the way to the Old Testament, and we, we, we got to celebrate a Passover dinner as a church body this past Friday, and it was really amazing, and Here's the thing is that it goes all the way back to Exodus when they were the plagues, the ten plagues that were falling on on Egypt, and the last one was the death of the firstborn. And the only way for you to have that angel of death pass over your house was if you sacrificed a lamb and you put its blood over the door frames of your door and over the window and that angel passed over and did not strike your house therefore every year at that same time they would bring all of their sins they would confess their sins and a sacrificial lamb which would was called the passover lamb would be slain its blood would be spilled to cover the sins of people on the same night they did that was the same night Jesus was on the cross. So all the lambs used for Passover were born. Does anybody want to guess what town they were born in and raised? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So in Bethlehem was where all the lambs for Passover was born and raised. Guess where Jesus was born? In Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? The Passover lamb. All right. So, all the lambs entered Jerusalem through a certain gate in Jerusalem. So, Jerusalem was surrounded by different gates. They all entered in by the sheep gate. Guess where Jesus entered in on Palm Sunday? He entered on that donkey. We call it the triumphant entry through what? The sheep gate. Isn't that pretty awesome? And so not only that, but all lambs were sacrificed on that Friday prior to the Sabbath, and Jesus was. At the same exact time they were sacrificing the lambs, Jesus was on the cross. Here's a piece that I didn't share with on Friday is this, is that after all the lambs were sacrificed, it was custom that the high priest after a last lamb was sacrificed he would put his hands up and he would say it is finished jesus on the cross last words he spoke as he gave up his spirit it is finished so jesus comes and now we find himself being attached to the cross so in Psalm 22, this would have been written approximately 1,000 years, a 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And this was written 800 years before the Romans even thought up the idea of the cross and crucifixion. This was predicted before any of that even was thought up. And King David wrote... My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. A thousand years before Jesus was crucified on the cross... Many have debated over whether it was in the hand or the wrist. I believe it was in the hand because, first and foremost, the Bible says so. It says, uh, Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus shows up two verses later and says, hey, put your fingers here. See my hands so, Jesus said hands. I believe it's the hands. The, the, the second reason why I believe that it was pierced in his hands and not his wrist is a picture that you can see in the right corner. In your wrist, there's an actual uh, a bunch of bones all connected there, and it would be really hard to put a nail through that without breaking a bone. And the prophecies all spoke that no bone could be broken of that Passover lamb. So, I believe that if it would have been put through his wrist probably would have broke a bone but through the hand there's plenty of places that you can go right between those bones it's pretty horrific what our savior went through isn't it and as he hung on that cross the soldiers came and they began to break the legs of each of the criminals on both sides and they did this because It was Friday, and they needed to have the bodies down before Saturday, Sabbath came. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And they said that these things were done so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. So instead of breaking his legs when they broke everyone else's legs, they pierced him in the side with a spear. One of my favorite parts of the whole entire story is there's two criminals on both sides. Jesus was not crucified alone. There was two criminals on each side. One criminal, and we find this in Luke chapter 23, but one one of the criminals, he was hanging next to him, and he was mocking him and blasphemed him, and he goes, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? You Seeing that you are under the same condemnation. You're under the same sentence. We're all being crucified here. We're under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive due reward for our deeds. Here's what's amazing is here's a man on the cross dying for for whatever he had done. It's believed that he was a thief. But whatever it was that he did, he says, we deserve this. We deserve this. And what's amazing is that he says, man, he goes, this man hasn't done anything wrong. Now, I love this part. He says to Jesus, he turns after he rebukes the other man. And I want you to think about this. Everybody, there were so many people in the crowd mocking Jesus. So the one criminal joins the crowd. Have you guys ever found that, that we have a habit of joining the crowd around us? And if they're doing the wrong thing, we begin to do the wrong thing. Because it's a lot easier following the crowd than being by yourself. So this one man is going against, the, one of the men being crucified is absolutely going against the grain. He's going against everybody else. He's going against what the crowd's doing. And he looks over at Jesus and he says, Lord. Guys, I want you to see that word. He right out of the gate calls him Lord. Lord. Lord, See, he knows who Jesus is, and he knows who he is. He knows that this is a man who is who he said he is. And that's what's remarkable about this. When you look in the book of Romans, in 10.9, it says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Here's a man on a cross, dying on his last hour. My friends, this is his last hour of life. His last hour. His, his last day on earth. And he looks over and he says, Lord. Now, for you to call someone Lord would mean that you understand that who they are on the authority chart and who you are. To make someone Lord, you have submitted and surrendered your life under their authority. In the military, it's pretty easy because if you don't do that, then you'll be in a lot of trouble. But I find it that outside of that realm, I find that a lot of people really struggle with actually submitting their life to God. Surrendering their life. Haven't you found that same thing? That it's it's kind of hard to just give your life over to God. It's hard to just say, okay, God, it's all yours. And that's exactly what this is. That's exactly what we're talking about. He's saying, Lord, remember me when you get to your kingdom. See, he's already confessed his sin, right? We're, we are here because we deserve this. Think about Jesus, all the pain that he's endured up to this point. He's been falsely, he's been betrayed by a friend, falsely arrested, went through a, a sham of a court system. He's been flogged, mocked, spit upon, carried across, nailed to a cross, put up on there, and now they've ripped his clothes off and they've auctioned them off to whoever's sitting around. And he still takes time to offer eternal life to somebody. Huh? Come on now, right? Think about that. Here's a man who didn't deserve salvation. He's on a cross. He says, I deserve this kind of a death. I deserve this. And yet, he would do what any of us do. In our last moment, if you knew that you were dying this very moment, we'd all be on our face right now saying, God, please save me. Remember me in your kingdom. When you get there, Lord, remember me. And here's what's so amazing is that if it was you or me, a lot of us probably sitting there, if we were in Jesus' place, we would probably honestly say, you know what? Forget it. None of you are worth it. I mean, isn't that how a lot of us feel is I'm not worthy to receive this. Don't I mean, that's when I run into a lot of people saying, man, I just don't feel worthy of being forgiven. I don't feel worthy of salvation." I don't feel worthy of being saved. And here's the deal. This man is a great example. He wasn't worthy of it. I'm not worthy of it. You're not worthy of it. That's not the point. The point is it's offered anyways. It's not about your worthiness. It's about the worthiness of God. See, it's all about Him. Salvation is about Him, not you. It's not about how bad you are or what you've done in life or that you don't deserve it. The point is, is none of us deserve it, but he offers it because he is worthy. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to offer salvation. He wants to give healing. He wants to restore your life. He wants to forgive you. It's about him. And we make it about us. Well, if you make it about you, then it's, you're always going to feel unworthy. If you make it about you, you're never going to feel good enough. It's not the point. Jesus is the point. He's the whole point. He's the whole point. And this is my favorite story. And there's not an Easter that I've ever preached that I haven't mentioned this story. And Jesus looks over And what's so amazing is the different phrases that Jesus used. One of the phrases that one of the, he only makes like four or five different statements on the cross. One of them was, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you imagine? They're all spitting. If if any of us, we would probably not be praying for the forgiveness of those who crucified us, beat us. Stripped us naked in front of everybody. I mean, can you imagine all of those things? And they're mocking you, spitting on you, hitting you. And and you'll be like, I am not praying for that. Lord, if there's a lot of people that I'm okay with you forgiving, these, I I want them to have a special spot in the depths of hell for them. And yet Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's the deal. You know how many times Jesus has prayed that for us? (laughs) Forgive that young man. He does not know what he's doing right? How many times do you think our Savior prayed that for you? He's prayed that for me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the implications of the foolishness that they're engaging in. God, forgive them, and especially for our youth. Like, that's like not even, that's probably multiple times a day, Lord. Oh, Father, forgive. Oh, I I didn't even get it out. I'm just going to hit copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. Man, in his last hour guys, it doesn't matter how long you've ran from God. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how long you've ran. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't because God has already paid the price. He's already died on the cross. It's already been paid and he's just waiting for you to surrender your life like this man on the cross. He wasn't going to be able to get down off that cross. He wasn't going to get down and be baptized. He wasn't going to be able to become a deacon in the church. He wasn't going to be able to teach any classes. He wasn't inviting anybody to church. This was his last moment and Jesus didn't care it doesn't matter what happened before this very moment what matters is what you do in the moment will you surrender yourself to Jesus or will you keep doing it your own way that's not working as he hung up on the cross something so important that I want to make sure that we don't miss and something that's often often um, missed is this the tearing of the veil. You see, the Bible says at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last His last. Now we know, according to the the, the Gospel of John, we know what his last words, when it says Jesus cried out with a loud voice, we know what it is. It is finished. That's the last words that Jesus said, and then he gave up his spirit. It says, Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he had cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. See, a, a couple of things that I want to help is, is understanding the significance of the tearing of the veil. It is, it, is, it is so important because a high priest in the Old Testament, he was to represent the people in matters pertaining to God, and he was also to, to offer gifts and sacrifices for the people's sin. He was also supposed to be able to deal gently, <laughs> gently, with those who have gone astray. And and, and in the temple, there were two primary places where you would be sitting is what they would call the holy place. And then there would be this big curtain. And let's pretend there was a big curtain that went across this whole thing, and on the other side of it was what they called the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go behind the curtain. And he could only do it one time a year, and he could only enter in there with blood. So there had to be blood to pay for sin to go into that room. He couldn't just like, eh, I think I'm going to go hang out in the, holy, the most holy place. In fact, there was a many priests that had died. They would tie ropes around their waist and bells on their feet so that if they died in there, they had a way to drag them out. Because you don't walk into the most holy place without reverence bible teaches us in in the book of hebrews that jesus became our forever high priest he entered the the book of hebrews says that jesus by his own blood entered the most holy place to offer the sacrifice it's not an accident that he said it is finished and took his last breath and at that very moment the veil was torn because that was Jesus taking his blood into the most holy place. And here's the deal: there's no need for a curtain anymore. There's no need for a curtain. It's been removed because Jesus has already paid for our sins. It's so amazing. So there's no need to offer those same sacrifices over and over and over. Again, it is finished. It is finished. He entered the most holy place to offer his own sacrifice once for all. That once for all is because he doesn't he doesn't need to go back to the cross and do it all over again. He did it once. He did it once for all. He paid for. Uh, uh, he paid. And so here's here's when he ripped that curtain. That's separated, so God, the, the Spirit of God would, would reside in, behind that curtain. But here's what happens. Now, the Bible says now that he has ushered in the new covenant, God now lives in you. That's why the Bible says that we are now the temple of God. He, when you ask God, when you, when you are saved, the Bible says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your inheritance. That's in the book of Ephesians. And so what happens is when I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins and to save me, I surrender my life. He then gives me life. So I surrender life to be given life and he gives me his life. And he resides in my heart. When somebody says, how do you know? I know because I know there's God living in here. I was a mess and I was not like I am today. Somebody's like, you're good. I'm not good. (laughs) God's good. And he's just doing something that's working in this. Well, we didn't come just to talk about the crucifixion, did we? fun historical fact a couple of historical facts that I want to share with you is this, Jesus was a real live historical figure I've had all kinds of different people who who don't believe in God and that's okay, they don't have to, but here's the reality a couple things that they need to keep in mind, you can't Make Jesus not a historical figure. He was a real live guy. It wasn't a cartoon. This isn't something that somebody made up. Everyone, he's he's he was a historical person, and it was historical fact that he's alive. It was a historical fact that he was crucified on a Roman cross. That you could go to the Roman Josephus was a a, a, a historian of that time. Also, here's a historical fact that when they went to the tomb, it was empty. That's a fact. Now, what you believe about that fact and what you do with that fact, you're going to have to decide what you do with it. So on one side, you you can believe that 12 fishermen came and overpowered centurion soldiers trained from childhood to kill people, that these fishermen with fishing poles overtook them and took the body out. You can believe that if you want to. Or that it is exactly what it said. Josh McDowell, I love how he puts this. Josh McDowell, um, he, he wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter, and he makes this argument that Jesus is one of three things. He's either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. He's either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. So one, a liar. Every, every lie I've ever heard is usually to get out of trouble. Have you guys ever noticed that? if your kid is going to lie to you, it's because they're wanting to get out of trouble. Have you ever, has any of you parents ever had a kid lie to you to get into trouble? I mean, like, 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 I'm going to lie to get, I want to get in trouble today. No, we lie to get out of trouble. Would you ever lie to be crucified on a cross? Would you ever, and even more so, I've never met anybody who was willing to die for their lie. So to me, I think that Jesus being, because he, Jesus said who he was. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't play around with words. He told people exactly who he was. So here's the reality is he's exactly who he said he is, or he's a liar. And if he's a liar, why would you die for a lie when you didn't have to? At that point, I'd be like, I'm just kidding. I know it's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. No. He died for it. Not only him, but his disciples, or he's a lunatic. And here's the, real, here's the thing, is that there's no greater, larger religion in the entire world than Christianity. Do we not know the difference between a sane person and an insane person? In fact, you think about it, Jesus, all the people loved him. They loved his teachings. The religious people didn't. And in fact, the churchy people back then didn't. That, that's why a lot of churches aren't growing is because they're churchy. Churches need to stop being churchy. They need to start being like Jesus. Amen? Right? I mean, like, man, if churches were more like Jesus, a lot more people would want to come because Jesus was full of mercy and compassion and grace, and he spoke the truth, but he spoke it with love. And so, so here's the deal is, is if he was a lunatic, he tricked the whole world. Or he was exactly who he said he is, and that's the Lord. And for those of you who have given your life to Jesus, you already know that answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. See, every other religion in the entire world can be put into one basket you basically have to earn your way to heaven. Every other religion, you got to be good enough, even the ones that pretend to be Christian. A lot of them, the only 144,000s getting in. That's that's a gross perversion of God's word. So Christianity is all by itself because what God loves us And he died to save us. None of the other religions in the entire world are like it. All the other ones are, hopefully you'll be good enough, serve hard enough, give enough, and you'll get in. This one is, it's not about you. It's not about what you have to offer. It's not about how much money you give or how hard you serve in a church. It's all about Jesus. This is different than any other religion in the entire world. Well, here's the thing. I I really hope that if, If you are sitting in here and you had any doubts, I hope that we can erase those doubts today. I hope that if you are sitting here and you are struggling in your faith, I hope today is the day that you can step out on faith. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to to, to bow your heads, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a few moments. I'm going to ask our worship team to get in place. I'm going to ask our prayer team to get in place quietly, of course. But here's the thing. I can't get to heaven. I can't be saved without Jesus. I can't be saved without surrendering my life, without asking for forgiveness. I can't get there without that. And maybe today you walked in and maybe you were like, I just don't know if I believe all this stuff yet. And maybe today was a day where you were convinced that it is true. The Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. Maybe you've tried a whole bunch of other things in your life. Maybe all the way up to today you've tried it on your own. You've tried... Programs and you've tried this, and you've tried that, and maybe today is that day that you came here, and you said, you know what, I want a a second chance at life, and I want to give my life to Jesus. There's nothing more powerful than a resurrected life. The Bible says that before Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our sin. We're dead in our anger. We were dead in our bitterness. We were dead in our fear. We were dead in our anger. We were were dead in our addiction. But when we receive Christ, the Bible says you were dead, but now because of His rich mercy, you were made alive. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you, is there anyone here today says, I need that second chance at life. I need to ask Jesus to save me. Raise your hand. If you're sitting here today and you're, I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Don't be scared. Don't allow fear to get in your way. amen. Young man, I want you to come on up here, buddy. Yeah, come on. I love kids. They're not afraid. This young man just wants to accept Jesus. Come on. Scott, would you, would you visit with this young man? Is, is there anyone else? Children aren't afraid to give their lives. Jesus says, if we don't come like a, like a childlike faith, come on, brother, come on. We want to we make sure that we don't walk out of this, this place without receiving Jesus as our Savior. Is anyone else? Anyone else? You feel like today is the day I need to give myself to Jesus? We have our teams up here. We're willing to talk with you. Some of us, we've been following the Lord, maybe or maybe not, but some of us walked into this very room I already had one sister come to me and she said today I believe God's going to heal me she's been struggling with putting down smoking and she says I feel like God is going to heal me today there's this really neat little card that we put out for all of you guys one of the things we all have a habit of carrying burdens don't we Sometimes we like to carry burdens. We like to, 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 to carry it around. Sometimes our sin or our, 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 our crutch becomes a badge of identity. Maybe there's a burden that you just want to write down today. And we have nails and hammers at the crosses. I want to encourage you. If you've got, maybe you've got anger. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're struggling with some foul language. Maybe, maybe you have a sickness and you're like... God, I want you to heal me over this. Or maybe you're like, "Wade. Where are you at, brother? Wade, Wade, stand up." Wade, God has healed Wade of cancer.) He was filled with cancer, and he shows up to get chemo, and they said, "We can't find it. It's a miracle. We know where that miracle comes so maybe you're like Wade and maybe God answered your prayer and you want to write that praise God thank you for healing me what I'm just gonna encourage you to do if there's something that you either want to lay down at the cross want to nail it there and say I'm done with smoking and I'm putting this at the cross I'm nailing it and I'm not taking it back I have a bad attitude or maybe it is it is I need healing or I need this from God or I want to praise God I just want to encourage you write that down Put it on the cross, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to do something special with it. So right now, if there's something, whether you want to praise God, write that praise on there. If there's something that you specifically want to pray, right now, you say, God, I want to, I want to pray that you will do this. Do this thing for me. Or, God, I'm carrying a burden, and I need that to go. Anytime for the rest of this service, feel free to grab a pen. There's pens all around you. There's going to be some pins up here. There's hammers and nails. Our prayer team is right here ready to pray with anyone who needs prayer. Let this be a launching pad for what God has next for you.